0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. I gotta be honest with you. So last week, Sue and I were, were in Boston. We went up to go see our son, Luke, at Gordon College. Gordon College is a beautiful school. If you're looking for a good Christian uh, college for your kids, I would encourage you to look at Gordon. Um, but we missed the plans. Like, we are those people that if we were not, you know, part of this community in the roles that we are, we would go to church here. And it's funny is if you would take a poll of pastors, the vast majority of pastors would not go to the churches they pastor. How sad is that? Like, literally, that is a statistic that most pastors would not go to the church they pastor. And I would say this, that if I was not the pastor of this church, this would be the community that I would want to be a part of. Amen? It's a great community. People love Jesus, love one another, and we are excited to be here. So we are in our mini-series called True Religion, True Religion, and we are looking at the gospel of Mark through several different mini-series. The first one we talked about was Discipleship. And from, for some of you, that was like the game changer, where God really just shifted something in your soul. And for me, it was so encouraging because I heard so many people say, like, that one was for me. That's exactly where I've been. I've needed to have this moment where I have a change of heart, a change of mind, and I start acting what I truly, truly believe in. But when you start studying the Gospels, there are actually many different themes that are in them. And one of the big themes that Pastor Andrew and I really wanted to attack was religiosity. Religiosity. This whole idea of like, what is religion? What does it mean to be legalistic, which we talked about a few weeks ago? What does it mean to to, to act in a certain way, but not allowing our hearts to be completely surrendered, as in the rich, young ruler? But today I actually want to tackle something that I believe we don't talk about a lot in church. But I actually believe it's the biggest sin, yes, sin in all of evangelicalism. And it's called loopholeism. Think about loopholes. How many of us love loopholes? Anyone love loopholes? Right? A few of you, right? If you are a lawyer, you love loopholes. If you own your own business, you love loopholes. On April 15th, Everybody loves loopholes. Do I get an amen? Amen. All right, we need to pray for you. But (laughs) let's look at the definition of a loophole. What's a loophole? A loophole is a small mistake or misrepresentation that gives someone the chance to avoid having to do something. Let's keep it going. Next slide. A means of escape or evasion from a responsibility, Right? Isn't that what a loophole is? So many of you know that my son graduated law school last year, this past summer, passed his bar. He works for a big company, and they deal with bankruptcy. And it's interesting that when I talk to my son and his girlfriend, who's also a lawyer, that when a lawyer is defending someone, they are a defense attorney, and they are trying to defend their individual from getting in trouble and going to jail. Do you know the one major thing that an attorney does is they look for loopholes in the system. So if someone was accused of, of stealing, someone was accused of murder, even if they know that their client had done it, their whole job and responsibility is this, find the loophole. I'm like, no way. And I'll never, I'll never forget talking to, uh, to Gabby and she's like, yes, yes. That's the defense's, uh, defense attorney's job. Find the loophole. Even if they're completely wrong, it is the attorney's responsibility to keep them out of jail. So think about this. Here's the problem with loopholes. Loopholes create a pattern in our heart that pulls us away from the work of God. This is what I had written the other day. Loopholes allow a person to evade responsibility and causes a pattern of unhealthy belief and behavior in a person's heart. And we don't realize that in these loopholes, we actually pull ourselves away further and further away from God, even though we may be thinking that we are in a complete right relationship with him. It's kind of like golf, and I am not a golfer. And I only know this is because this is every time I hit a golf ball, I shank the ball, I hit it, and I think it's going straight, and it slowly goes more and more and more, always to the right. And one degree of separation in the beginning can be a far way off in the end. My favorite word in golf is a mulligan, because I need to use it at every single hole. (laughs) Why? Because that ball is going so far off. And the problem is, is this is that we get so caught up in trying to prove ourselves that we miss out on God allowing to be God in our lives and allowing his deeper work to be done in our hearts. And yes, we're going to look at a, a really a quick snapshot of legalism, but more important this morning, we are going to deal with the loopholes of our hearts. Because true religion says, I'm going to untie every loophole that I've created. Not what others have created, but what I have created. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to ask you that this morning would just be a a refreshing morning. God, you know for me that these topics of legalism and loopholes kept me from the gospel for so long. God, I hated seeing Christians that were just hypocrites and fake. And I ask you that in my own heart that you would deal with any loopholes that need to be untied. May we as a church understand what true religion is, that our hearts are always before you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pull a little Pastor Paul. Would everyone stand in the reading of God's word? How many of you were here last week? This is what he makes the youth group do every Sunday night. We're just going to do it this week for the fun of it. Let me read for you. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of the disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Now look how this is written, their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our aged old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be in this room in such a palpable way. I ask you that you would allow this morning to be a special, special time in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're at Mark chapter 7. And as I've explained, whenever we start these mini-series, we're going to start at the beginning of Mark, and we're going to walk through the end of Mark and see how each of these topics really do go hand in hand from the beginning of the gospel to the end of the gospel. You see, there's a big accusation against Jesus. Now, I find it very interesting that, that Mark was written to the Gentiles, to the Romans, and it wasn't written to the Jewish audience. And so when you study Mark, here's what you see you see a lot of acts of power. You see a lot of Jesus showing up and doing the supernatural. It's not like Matthew or Luke where there's extended gospels of 20 plus chapters where there's a lot of teaching episodes. Because what Mark was doing was he really wanted to to share the power of Christ's death and resurrection. Yet, that even to the Gentiles there are these teachable moments that Mark would kind of put throughout his gospel. And what he was doing was he was trying to teach that to the Gentiles that there were certain teachable moments that we must all grasp in the life of historic Judaism. And so right away what we see in Mark is that accusations start flying against Jesus. And some of them were real questions. Just like when John's disciples asked Jesus, like, why don't you fast and pray like John does? And Jesus gives a great explanation that there will be a day for fasting. There will be a day to do that, but not when I'm here. It's for the future. And then you see some of these other ones. But in Mark chapter 7, you see the Pharisees getting extremely angrier. They didn't go to Jesus to try to prove something right now, like, are you or are you not the Messiah? Matter of fact, when you get to chapter 7, because all of a sudden you're going to start running up to the Passion Week sooner than later, by chapter 11, you are in the Passion Week. So you are going to run up to the Passion Week really, really soon. From here on, it's all about accusations against Jesus, who they say he is not. Everyone say this word with me, halalaka, halalaka. Say it with me, okay? I say these words to you not to prove that I know my stuff, but rather that you start having an understanding of Judaism because we live in a culture right here, even though the vast majority of us are Gentiles, is anyone Jewish in this room, anyone part Jewish, have a little Judaism, a little bit? No one. So we're all just a room of Gentiles. Do you know that? You are good Roman citizens. Trust me. And we behave like it too to a fault. But if you just go over there to suffer, there's a huge Jewish community. In your kid's school here in Bergen County, if your kids go to Bergen County, they have several if not many friends who are Jewish. Do I get an amen? They're invited to bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and you need to let them go. All the kids were like, amen, right? You need to. But you see, here's what what it was. There was this whole thing of halakha, which was this idea of ceremonial cleansings. But they were traditions. Remember how I slowed down when I was reading about age-old traditions, traditions. And so what would happen, all of the religious leaders had to make a cup of their hands And they had to have the water poured over it. And then another way, what would happen is they would first go like this. Everyone go like this. This was the first act of washing your hands because I want to teach you something of of Judaism. If you were a Pharisee religious leader or someone who claimed to be ultra-religious, you would walk in before you would eat and you'd just make a cup. Everyone make a cup. Come on. Everyone can make a cup. I'm watching you all. Okay? You're not proving anything if you're not making a cup. That would be the first pour over. Right? The second pour over, everyone go like this right? That was it. There was no soap. There was no scrubbing. It was a simple pour over. Now, we know that washing our hands, especially in the Parker family, is good hygiene. If you know us, we are a very clean family. My boys are probably the cleanest out of everybody. I think they shower twice, if not three times a day. The average shower in a Parker home is two and a half times a day per year. So we've taught them clean hands, pure heart, right? Clean hands, pure heart. Well, that was kind of the idea for the Pharisees. And so here you have Jesus, who is this leader, this religious leader, who didn't practice Holocaust. He didn't. Instead, he's like, we're eating. Rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Let's eat. Ready to go. And that wasn't all the time, because here's the problem. You had the Pentateuch, and you had the Mishnah. Everyone say Mishnah, right? Give it a little, nah, Mishnah, say it, Mishnah, right? Those were the added traditions, the added laws. And so if there was a ceremonial washing in the Pentateuch, Jesus would do it. Everything in the Pentateuch, Jesus would do. And there were some traditions that Jesus would follow out of a good, respectful manner right? Think about Hanukkah, right? So many people kind of blow off the idea of Hanukkah. Jesus would have celebrated Hanukkah. Do you know that? It was a historical event that Jesus would have celebrated. But there were so many traditions that in this, that had nothing to do with the purity of heart. And so he was constantly being attacked. Why aren't you following the age-old traditions? Why aren't you doing what we do? Why aren't you acting like like we act? Why aren't you worshiping the way that we worship? Why aren't you praying the way that we pray? And so like Jesus is getting tired of it because he knows their hearts. And here's what he says. Jesus says, he replies, you hypocrites. Imagine God calling you a hypocrite. That's a really bad day. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. That's not a good word. That's not a good word. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. So the word hypocrite simply means actor, someone who is acting. But it wasn't as if actors were called hypocrites. The word hypocrite was someone who was acting all the time. And you know that if someone calls you a hypocrite, it's a really bad day. And there's nothing worse than when your kids call you a hypocrite. Amen? And there's nothing worse than when you called your parents hypocrites. Anyone do that in here? Don't raise your hands, right? But he calls them out. And what he does is he goes right back to the word of God. And he repeats Isaiah 29, 13. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, if it was law, Jesus would do it. If it was something God commanded, it was a no-brainer. But in all of our circles of Christianity, we have add-ons. That's why there's over 20,000 different denominations. Yet under one Lord? Seriously. Think about that. So much of denominational stuff, and we are part of a denomination. And the reason why we are part of this denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, is because they simplified everything. Savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. Jesus and Jesus only. That's our slogan. I don't know if you knew that about our denomination. Our slogan is Jesus and Jesus only. Do I get an amen? amen. And for me is, I want to be part of the things of Jesus. He saves people. He transforms people. He heals people. And I'm going to be with him one day. And Jesus just attacks their hearts. You honor me with with, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I think it's something that we have to be really, really careful of. Legalism involves abstracting the law of God from its original context to gain approval from God and merit salvation. Think about that how often have we performed this act of legalism? Hey, if I go to church every week. No, you should go to church because you want to. Bless you. You should go to church because you want to grow. You should want to go to church because you want your kids in church so one day that when they are old, they will not depart from it. You should want to be here because there's someone in this room who's hurting that God is going to use you to speak into their lives. Amen? And so we do this, but we're thinking like, well, if I give more, if I pray more, if I do this more, then then God will show up. So when God doesn't show up in the way that we want him to, we get angry at him. Yet God is saying, I never was planning on showing up in your life that way. I have a better way. A better way. And there's this tension that we all wrestle with. And the truth of the matter is, is if we're all honest, including myself, and I have fallen into the trap time after time after time of legalism. If I pray more, if I do more, if I read more. Maybe if I raise my hands a little higher, maybe if I fall on my knees, it's like time out. That's not what God's called me to. God's called me that my heart would be a reflection of everything I speak, do, and am. And when you look at this, you see this first issue that Jesus just attacks legalism, legalism. But I don't think that's where we're at right now in modern-day Christianity. I think so many people are tired of legalism, that they don't go to church. I think they were so tired of legalism, they said, you know what, let's create our own pattern. You know what, I'm just going to walk away from it completely. There are so many people, look out the windows. I do this very deliberately every once in a while. Look out the windows. There are so many people out there that are just struggling because they are exhausted about legalism, and yet deep down, every single heart in that community is dying for Jesus. Look at this street right here. If you look, look across the street, there's a Jewish synagogue, right across the street. If you look to your right, there is one of the largest Hindu temples here on the whole East Coast. We are on like Religious Avenue, <laughs> Religious Boulevard. Like you got books written about this street. Think about that. People are starving. And are we, are we putting aside our legalistic attitudes so that people have the opportunity to truly hear the gospel of Jesus? And for some of you, yes. But for many churches, no. So let's see what happens next because Jesus ain't done. Don't mess with God. If you mess with anybody, don't mess with him. Jesus goes on and says this. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, let me just give you, for instance, Jesus says, let me just give you another example. Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. Wow, that's what the Old Testament says. Man, anyone been slaughtered by now? But you, you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Ooh, and this is only one example of many others. Everyone say this word with me, korban, 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 right? Not carbone, not carbone. We have the carbones here right now, This service. Korban, say it again, korban. Okay, now why am I telling you this? Because again, Jesus is going right to truth. He attacks lies with truth, and every time someone wants to attack you, you attack them with truth because most of the attacks against individuals are lies. Do I get an amen? Amen. Your thoughts, perceptions people put on you, and Jesus just goes right to the heart of the matter, and he talks about this whole idea of a korban, a gift to God. There were certain gifts that people could give to God as an offering. And so what they would do is they would bring their their financial gift in whatever way it was, and they would bring it to the synagogue or the temple, and it would be a gift of God. But what the religious leaders were doing, they were manipulating their financial responsibility to their parents... Saying that they were going to give their finances to God instead, because when they gave it to the synagogue, who was the money going back to? Them. And so they manipulated that they could get out of this one little little law that God had given in the Pentateuch to take care of your parents, and they would manipulate the whole system so that they would financially benefit from it, right? Right? Think about what gets you thrown in jail. Manipulation of finances, right? Think about what ruins communities. Adultery, right? There are certain big things that people manipulate that cause havoc on any community. And one of them is finances. And these Pharisees, they were cheating themselves and others By keeping what wasn't theirs. And Jesus says, time out. You want to play hardball? Not only have you made up your own rules, all these traditions, you have found loopholes to what you expect others to do and you don't even do yourself. I just got chills. How cool is Jesus? How cool is he? Amen? Amen? Right? He calls people out. You're cheating the people. You're cheating your family. And yet you're doing it for your own earthly gain. And he calls him out and he says, you not only are legalistic, but rather you've created loopholes where you have manipulated others. So you have to, you get to evade the responsibility that God has put on you. Ooh. And for us, as we need to ask the question is like, yeah, I'm not legalistic. But do I manipulate God to, for my own gain? Yeah, I may not be legalistic and, and put all these rules and regulations on people that, 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 that I care about and love, but, but have I manipulated my faith in such a way that I may look holy on the outside but inwardly I am just as evil as before Jesus. And I really believe right now that we in our westernized Christianity evangelicalism there are so many loopholes that in some ways we are acting no different than we were just as legalistic as before. And if we want to talk about like true religion, true religion, Jesus says true religion is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and being, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And what are the loopholes that you have created that evade you from those responsibilities? That's a tough one. And I realize here at the plant, we talk about tough issues. Seriously, I believe at the plant, we probably talk about a lot of tougher issues than than most churches do. I actually had someone on staff come up to me about four weeks ago when we were going through the discipleship um, series. He goes, man, you would not get away with this stuff at any other church. He said that. He was at a large church prior to here, and he's like, there is no way that you would have preached that that Sunday morning. You would have been fired. I'm Like, what do you mean? You can't tell people to give everything up for Jesus can't do it. And that's what Jesus asks us to do. Give him our whole being. And yet we've created loopholes that we can't even say that we are all for Jesus. Let's talk about some loopholes in our society. Oh no, people are going to leave the church right now. (laughs) Big scriptural matters. Marriage. What does God say about marriage? No one's going to amen me on this one. Sexuality. No one's gonna amen me on this one. What does God say about sexuality? Gender. What does God say about gender? Ain't hearing anyone amening me right now? Amen. I'm serious. Social issues. Caring for those who need help. Look what would happen. Don't cry, Rob. You said this morning there was no need to cry. What would happen if we had a family, and I'm going to use the word Ukraine, that came from the Ukraine, that somehow escaped from a village that was getting bombed and they showed up, would we be willing to just pour into them? Prior to Ukraine or other world catastrophic events, Omar and I had talked about like how great would it be is to be able to, to help you a, a refugee family that found themselves in Bergen County Not by choice, but because of God's ordained moment. Would we as a church come alongside them and help them? Think about these things. What about how we treat others? What about forgiveness? How can the church be the most unforgiving place? Seriously, I'll talk about forgiveness and people won't come back for two weeks. Seriously? Dude, you need Jesus. Jesus. I almost left the ministry when I was 31 years old because I was unwilling to forgive someone. That's a loophole in my heart that God had to untie. How do we allow people to come into our church to be able to love them right where they're at? You see, the world only cares about honesty right now. As much as they are so defensive in certain things, they want to truly know, what do you, what do you, what do you believe? Where do you really see me? Do you know how many bizarre conversations I have on a regular basis about marriage and sexuality and and all these different things? And people literally say to me, thank you for finally being honest with me. Love is love. God is love. God is love. And the way that I love others is a reflection of how I understand God's love for me. And Jesus says, you have created this rabbit hole, this rabbit trail, that you think you're so close to God, yet you're so far away. I've been praying for revival forever. Two days ago, my heart changed. I want you to experience revival, but I want God to revive me first. Because if God revives me first and foremost, revival is going to pour out into everything I do. I want to be able to start dancing and saying, revival's happening today in me. And hopefully because it's happening in me, it's happening in you. But revival can only happen is when I start untying the loopholes of my heart. And Jesus says there's loopholes that need to be untied. You see, I don't mind preaching like this. Because I know people who have struggled with marriage and sexuality and social issues and unforgiveness that come to the plant. Not have been to the plant, come to the plant and say, thank you for helping me understand who Jesus actually is. Because when we let Jesus look into the souls of our hearts, that's where true transformation happens. And it's hard for me, if you, if you really want to know, like, true transparency, when you really study Jesus, not everyone's going to want it. And for someone who struggled with people pleasing for so long, God's like, I'm going to rip that out of you, because that's a loophole in your heart. Jesus says, and then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceitful deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Let me back up a verse. All of you listen, Jesus says. He says, try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Let me read that again. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. This was actually the most controversial thing Jesus ever said. Do you know that? This was the most controversial thing Jesus ever said because the Jewish religious law was all about outwardly transforming inwardly, rather inwardly transforming what we do outwardly. You know what I'm saying? If we practice these things, our heart will change. Rather than if our heart is changing, what we are doing on the outside will change. And he said, no more. I've come to fulfill it. It's not what you put in the body. And they all ran out and had some bacon. <laughs> Someone said, woo, woo. It's what's in your heart. You see, when you study the scriptures, this is, what the, this is what it says about the heart. The heart is recited 826 times. 826 times. The writers talk about the heart. And for me, as if you've been to the plant, you know that I define the heart by what Scripture says. Let's see what the heart says. There's three things that define the heart. First is, our, is the emotional bank. In John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Two, it's our intellect. Why do you reason these things in your heart? And three, it's our emotions. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So how does scripture define the heart? It's our intelligence, it's our emotions, and it's our will. That's what scripture says is the human heart. The heart is the innermost part of an individual, the center of our being and personality. The heart is the innermost, centermost part of a person. It's the most important thing that God cares about. Because everything that you are learning and breathing and doing and focusing on and compulsing on is what comes out of us. I mean, think about what Scripture says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah said that. And Jesus says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Well, I didn't mean to call you a jerk. Yes, you did. I didn't mean to tell you that I hate you. You you sort of did, right? Like, think about it. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I really didn't fully mean it, but you partially meant it, amen? There's some truth in everything we say. Even when we try to pull back and take it away, when it comes out of this, this, this thing in us and it shoots out onto another, there is always some form of truth that has to be attacked, And Jesus says, true religion comes from in there. True religion is birthed in your heart because you've thought about it. You've emotionally, you've wrestled with it. And in some way, you've acted on it, right? Our intellect, emotions, and will, that that our heart is what drives us. That's not really what my heart says. Yes, it is. And there are times for Sue and I, that as much as we love one another, as much as we value each other, as much as we want to spend all the time in the world together, she is an individual that I could spend every living second with. And to me, I was like, wow, that's messed up. I love her. And yet, my heart is not always right towards her. Because I've allowed my mind and my emotions and my will to go to unhealthy places. And Jesus says, true religion is birthed right here. True religion, it it, it takes place. in, in why you do what you do, why you think like you think, And he attacks it. He says, you want to play this religious game? Let's go. Let's talk about the Holocaust and let's talk about Corbin. Because both you don't understand. And here's my application. Are we as a church willing to really address what true religion is? Where does our heart stand? I need to wrap this up. What loopholes have you created that cause you to miss out on experiencing the fullness of Christ? Seriously, what loopholes have you created that have caused you to miss out on the fullness of Christ? We're not talking about legalism. We're not. Because if you were wrestling with legalism, you'd want this church to be open at 5 a.m. every day to have a prayer meeting at 5 a.m. Legalistically, 365 days a week. Do you know that? We'd be having services every Sunday night. You're not worried about legalism. What are the loopholes? A person's actions are the truest representation of what is taking place in your heart. What are those loopholes? And are we willing to identify those loopholes and surrender them to Jesus? and allow our hearts to be restored. King David created a loophole in a small season in his life. And when he realized that he created this loophole that separated him from God for a full year, he got on his face and he said, create in me a pure heart and renew and restore your spirit, the right spirit within me. Plant family, you want to see Jesus invade your hearts, untie the, the knots. Plant family, God has positioned many of you in some really big positions, not to have to play the loophole game, but rather that when you live in integrity between God and man, God shows up. And if we ever want to be the church that God has called us to, we must understand what true religion is. Let's take our cup. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed that the bread was a representation of my body. And he said, break it. He broke it. As you break that bread, I want to challenge you that to close your eyes and think about that one loophole that needs to be untied. God untie it. Untie it. Let's eat. And then he took the cup. He said, "This is the cup of the new covenant. And I'm translating this into my own words. You no longer have to live in loopholes. You no longer have to live in loopholes because of the cup of the new covenants. God's spirit does empower, will empower you to live in the purity of who you are as sons and daughters of God. Let's drink. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.